Welcome to the Path to Freedom podcast. I'm your host, Wes Barefoot, where it's my mission to help aspiring entrepreneurs and existing business owners take control of their lives and create freedom for themselves through business ownership. Each episode, I'll be exploring the strategies and tactics of other successful entrepreneurs that have created freedom in their own lives while sharing what I'm learning along my own path to freedom. I'm glad you're here. Let's drop in. Hey, what's up, Path to Freedom listeners? And thank you so much for dropping in to another episode. This is episode 121. Today, I'm joined by Alex Brookman. Alex is actually a repeat guest here on the podcast. This is his second appearance. And I invited him back on the show to talk about a new book that he's just released, Secrets of Next Level Entrepreneurs. So Alex shares a little bit of the story of how this book came to be. He put together a business summit uh, over a year ago with 40-some speakers. And you know he's done all types of consulting work and helping businesses strategize and execute these strategies. And so you know, he's no stranger to uh, entrepreneurship and best practices. And, you know, Alex has seen these themes, you know, recurring from, you know, thought leaders in the business world and, you know, really just wanted to to put together this book and the way he explains it, which I really, really like the book is certainly one that you can pick up and read it cover to cover. Uh, But it doesn't have to be read that way. He really wanted to be more of a manual uh, or, you know, a a toolkit for entrepreneurs where, you know, they could pick it up. And if there's a certain area that maybe they're struggling with in their business or even their life, um, you know, they could go straight to that section and get some some great uh, information from a leading expert in that field. So, in my opinion, the coolest thing about this book is that Alex did not write the majority of it. He brought in experts. So the book is, uh, the the subtitle of the book is 11 Powerful Lessons to Thrive in Business and Lead a Balanced Life. And the way he's got the book set up is it's broken down into three different themes. So the first theme is three essential hard skills every business leader should master. And there's three different chapters in that theme, each chapter written by a different expert. The second theme of the book is how business leaders shape impactful cultures through leadership. And again, three or four chapters in that theme, all written by different experts. The third and final theme of the book is Self-care, the secret sauce for leading a fulfilling life and successful business with, again, four chapters written by different experts. So I think it's a really cool way to put together a book. I love, you know, the the concept that the book doesn't have to be read in, in any particular order. Very much meant to be the type of book that you come back to time and time again uh, and just continue to get value from it. So really excited for you guys to you know, check out this interview with Alex. We've posted a link in the show notes for the first time Alex was on the podcast. We've also got links to make it easy for you to find the book if you want to pick up a copy. So with that, let's go ahead and drop in with Alex Brookman. Hey, what's up, Path to Freedom listeners, and thanks for dropping into another episode. Today, I'm joined by Alex Brookman. Uh, it's Alex's second appearance on the podcast, actually. So Super excited to have him back as a guest. Um, so, Alex, welcome to the show, and thank you for dropping in for a second time here on the Path to Freedom podcast. How you been? I feel, I feel really good. Thank you very much, Wes, for having me again. Absolutely. It's my pleasure. Uh, thoroughly enjoyed the first conversation that you and I had. I actually went back and listened to that episode uh, a little while ago just in preparing for this and like I took some notes again, you know, just based on, you know, some of the the topics that you were talking about and and sharing, uh, you know, some really good insight into. So uh, we'll put a link to that episode in the show notes to make it easy for listeners that maybe didn't catch it the first time around uh, to go back and and 
check that out because it is jam packed, full of valuable information. So, but you've been busy since uh, since we last talked. You've been up to some good stuff. Um, and you had a book just come out, which is part of why you reached out and, and, uh, you know, we decided to have you on the show again. So tell us about the book. The book is called secrets of next level entrepreneurs, 11 powerful lessons to thrive in business and lead a balanced life. As the title suggests, um, we talk about 11 very different topics, but what these topics have in common is they are on the mind of any business leader at one point or another, be it, how do I create a strategy? Is my pricing correct? How can I set the business up in a more sustainable way? Um, all the way to topics around um, as you grow, how do you lead your teams? Um, which type of culture do you want to establish? And into the the third theme of the book, which is about self-care, um, mm. we debunk this whole concept of work-life balance and just offer some different approaches that actually work. Now that I'm very interested in. Um, that's that topic is fascinating to me. You know, finding this this balance, right, where you know all aspects of your life are you know, firing at all cylinders and you're not sacrificing one area of your life for success in, in another part of your life. We've got three young kids, right? Three businesses. You know, I'm trying to get in better shape, stay in good shape. Like, you know, you've got to be intentional if you want to, you know, really optimize every facet of your life. So personally, I'm always all ears for tips and tactics of of how to, you know, better go about that. But you know, so to to back up a little bit, like I said, you know, first time you were on the show, you know, you gave us a lot of good information. So I'd encourage listeners to go back and check that out. And that way we can spend the majority of our time today, you know, talking about the book and, and um, you know, anything else that you want to make sure the audience hears from you. But, you know, how did you even get to a point where now you're writing a book called the secrets of next level entrepreneurs um you know what have you done up to this point in your career to where you're even in a position to write this type of a book it's actually my second book but it's the first one that comes out that's the funny thing so the, the first book that oh. i wrote will only come out later this year in the fall um what have i done un until this point the the book has a funny birth story um it it wasn't that i sat down and was like Hey, I want to write a book. Yeah. It was more um in the aftermath of a business summit that I ran more than a year ago with more than 40 speakers over three days. And some of these ideas, they just kept marinating in my brain. And when I started to um dig into why these topics, I realized what I said earlier that these are topics that I've heard so many times business leaders talk about either in coaching sessions with me or um, in books that I read. It is really interesting that these topics, you can't escape them. They come to you at one point or another. Mm. Um, if you are an entrepreneur or if you lead a certain department um, in a larger business, it's just something these topics, they come front they are front and center time and again so i mapped them out and i stitched them together in a way that you can read the book front to back cover to cover but you don't have to you can dig into each of these topics separately put the book back on the shelf if you're interested in life balance take it out read the chapter on life balance put it back on the shelf maybe um a month later you're like huh i really want to revisit how my pricing looks like Take the, take the book out, read the chapter about pricing, strategic pricing. So it is something that um, was inspired by a book that I read many years ago called Rework, where you have yeah. short chapters mm -hmm. um, that all tackle a specific topic. Um, it's It's been a bestseller. I'm pretty sure you've heard about the book. You, you might even have it yeah, in your bookshelf. Yeah, I was bookshelf. just looking. It's, it's on one of my bookshelves here. Uh, that's <laughs> yeah. a good one. And you know, I, I love books that are formatted that way because, like, for me, I've it, it's so much easier to come back to it, right? Whereas if it is the type of book that you have to, you know, kind of read it cover to cover, like, unless it just really blew your mind the first time you read it, 
chances are you're not going to come back to it a second time. Yeah. Right. But, you know, other books like I, I don't know if you're a Tim Ferriss fan, but Tim Ferriss has got a couple of books that he wrote that way. Tools of Titans. You know, it's one of my all time favorite books. And I, I come back to it all the time, you know, but it's very short, bite sized chunks split up into different sections. So easy to kind of, you know, navigate through it and find the stuff yeah. that that's going to be relevant. So anyways, love the format. Yeah, every chapter is about 20 to 30 pages. So it's really digestible. It's something that you read in 30 minutes, maybe, mm -hmm. uh, maybe 40, depending on how many notes you take as you sure. go. Um, and uh, it was interesting for me to pull the book together as an author as well, because obviously, I know a bit about each of these topics, but I did not write these chapters. I brought the experts in with deep knowledge. So I learned a lot while writing and editing the book myself, which um, gave me a, a sense of, yeah, if I learn a lot, of, as someone who has been around these topics for a while, chances are other people will feel the value as well. And that was something that... Um, just keeps you pushing forward as you create a book like that. No doubt. No doubt. So the book just came out. Um, and then, so I didn't realize you'd already already written a book before that, that it sounds like is coming out later this year. Correct. Uh, and it's, it will be out in the fall. Do the, do the two books kind of go together? Can you talk about what the new book is or is it too early for that? The book... Um, kind of builds on the first chapter of this book. So okay. when you read the first chapter in Secrets of Next Level Entrepreneurs, it's a chapter I wrote about the topic of business strategy, what it is, how businesses can use it, how entrepreneurs can use it, how you can define it for your business so that it's being used in a consistent way. And um, when you read that chapter, it's a perfect segue into the second book. So I referenced the, the first book also in the second book. I didn't repeat all these things. Um, the second book is called The Strategy Legacy and is a book about, um, it's at the intersection of leadership and business strategy. And it's a book that basically was born um, out of the, I don't want to say necessity, but kind of the wish to give my my previous customers my clients in europe something tangible when i left germany and, and europe three years ago and moved to canada i felt strangely guilty and that idea of handing of handing them a, a nice present actually turned into this whole book um it wasn't in, it was never my intention to write a book um, but it kind of developed and developed and um at some point in time you got to be serious or you just don't do it. And I decided to be serious about it and found the people to help me bring it together um, in a concise way. And here we go. It's a book about how do you use a strategy process? How do you create that process um, to create more than just your strategy? So it's it it the book introduces a framework that I call the nine elements of organizational identity and how you can use a strategy process to bring all these nine elements to life. Yeah, that's that's fascinating. So, you know, in my mind, I think of you as the strategy guy, right? Because that's what we talked about, you know, the first time you were on the show and, you know, at least at one point in time, I know you were doing a lot of consulting with other businesses about, you know, really getting strategic, but then also, you know, how to tangibly implement the strategy and execute on it. And, you know, to your point, you know, for the new book coming out, that's, I imagine a big challenge in so many businesses. I know in our, our small businesses, it's been a struggle sometimes where, you know, we have a strategy, right. But introducing that strategy to everyone else in our organization, that's going to play some role in actually implementing it and getting them on board with it and behind it can be challenging, right? Especially, you know, if you've got people in management levels that are kind of accustomed to doing things a certain way, you know, we may have a strategy that's going to take them out of their comfort zone. So getting them on board with it and getting them to really implement it, like we've we've seen challenges with that. And, and our organizations are fairly small in terms of the number of people that we have. So imagine 
that becomes even more difficult the larger the organization gets. That is very true. The smaller yeah. a business, um, the more immediate the impact that a strategy has on everyone. You can yeah. talk to everyone. You can help mm -hmm. everyone see how they contribute to making it successful. The bigger an organization, the more, um, let's say, pitfalls are along the way. And that's that's what I've been doing for the past 15 years, helping these larger organizations identify what their strategy should look like and then how to implement it. So the leadership aspect that comes with it in implementing a business strategy is often more crucial than the strategy on its own. Um, creating a powerful strategy, this is not that difficult, to be honest. It's way more difficult to identify the right moment in time when this strategy is good enough and start implementing it rather than trying to perfect it or let's say trying to bring it to the illusion of perfection because you never reached it. It's a flawed concept. It doesn't work like that. Right. So at some point in time, you got to understand what we have here is good enough to start implementing. And I'd rather do the best job I can possibly do in getting everyone on board, in describing to everyone what I feel their role should look like, and then use it as a starting point for a strategic dialogue, for a conversation um, within your organization that goes up and down the chain, um, feedback loops that you create, and thereby people see that you're not just top-down telling them what they should do, but you're actually interested in how they feel they can contribute once they understand what the business should look like in a few mm -hmm. years down the road. Yeah. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah, the the strategy piece is, is not the hardest part. It's executing it, right? But to your point, like just getting started, I think, is so critical. You know, I have a mentor that that's always told me, you know, Wes, in business, revenue solves a lot of problems, which I agree with, right? Like, you know, it doesn't solve every problem, but if you got plenty of revenue coming in, like, it at least gives you some breathing room to shore up other things. But, you know, I've also come to to realize that action conquers a lot of fear and anxiety, right? So the more we sit around and think about doing something, the more we sit around and, you know, try to wait until the timing's perfect or until the strategy is perfect, the harder and harder it gets. We kind of get these mental blocks, right? So sometimes just doing it, knowing it's not perfect, but, you know, and to your, you got to have the feedback loops, right? So that you can, you know, make these improvements over time and and kind of adjust as you go. But um, so fascinating topics for both of the books. I mean, look, I don't want to still, you know, too much thunder from the book that you just released um, and certainly don't want to give away, you know, too much of what's in the book. <laughs> want the listeners to go, you know, pick it up, get a copy of it. It, it definitely sounds to me like it's a, a book that every entrepreneur should have on their shelf and, you know, have readily available to come back and reference, um, you know, many times. But, you know, do you want to kind of walk us through like at a high level, you know, what these 11 different, um, you know, points are that you talk about in the book and that you have other experts speak to in the book? For sure. Um, let's start with the first theme. So the book has three themes. The first theme is all around hard skills that you okay. probably don't have um, because your subject matter expertise is most likely something different. Because um, it's it's I rarely meet people whose subject matter expertise is the design and implementation of business strategy. That's mm -hmm. people like me who have done that for a lot of time. But um, if you lead your own business, it's it's very it's very likely that your subject matter expertise is in something different. But there is no way you can escape the need to build a proper strategy. So how do you do that? So that's that's what I describe in the first chapter. Then the second chapter is how do I price my services and products correctly? And I invited the most prominent person when it comes to pricing strategy, Alan Simon, the founder of Simon Kutcher, one of the biggest consulting companies in the world. He's the pricing guru, Thinkers50, global best-selling author. And he gives us not only his take on pricing, 
he also puts it into the perspective of our current high inflation environment, mm. which makes the chapter even more valuable for every business leader. No doubt. And it, it's a chapter that that I um, thoroughly enjoyed um, because it's it's really interesting to see all these examples that Herman provides. He's been around for some time. He's in his 70s. Okay. So, um, and and still he's out there um, and uh, sharing his wisdom with us, which which I truly appreciate. The third chapter, which is um, in in theme one, was contributed by Shital Kular. Um, she is a sustainability advocate. She lives in Singapore, so the book was written also by people from all all over the world. Amman lives in Germany. Um, Shital in Singapore, and um, her chapter is about. How can I use my sustainability efforts in my business to create new consumer touch points? Basically, it's the question, how can I do good and talk about it and thereby use my existing marketing budgets, for example, to attract a completely new, more conscious um, consumer group that is both interested in um, spending their money in ways that has a societal and environmental a, a positive impact and how do i do that and and mm. she provides a framework um a th she calls it the 3e framework which i think is just brilliant because of how simple it is it gives it's applicable to basically every business whether it's product based or service based and it talks a lot about how can i create something circular um so that whatever i do does not necessarily have a negative impact on either the environment or, um, let's say, society as a whole. So it's all around the questions of, um, of course, carbon footprint, material consumption, raw, raw material consumption as such, but also the question, how do my products influence the people around me, the people that work for me? Um, how can I make sure that those who um, contribute to my success earn a living wage, for example? All these questions play an important role. So that's the three topics in theme one, strategy, okay. pricing, and sustainability. Mega topics that are, you, you, you can't just, you, you just can't escape them, right? Um, theme so number I, two. I love the pricing. Sorry to, to cut you off, but before we move on to the next theme, the, the pricing topic is one that's, super interesting to me and i've done you know far 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 from an expert on it but i it's something i've read a little bit about and you know i'm particularly interested in some of the psychology you know that gets incorporated into pricing strategies and whatnot i'm curious what was you know not to put you on the spot but what was like your biggest takeaway from you know what you learned from the the pricing section of the book was there one kind of like aha moment that was maybe you know eye-opening for yes. you given all the work that that you'd already done there were actually two aha moments and they both are within those what Hermann calls his 10 commandments for pricing in an okay. environment of high inflation and out of those 10 commandments there were two that i i observed in real life uh in, in the past few months so one of them is when um inflation starts rising don't wait for your competitors to raise their prices. Be the first one. So move mm. fast okay. and adjust along the way. So move in small steps, but move frequently. And I give you I give you a specific example. Um, I am a fan of a particular coffee bean brand, and when when prices started to rise and inflation started to hit, that coffee was one of the first ones to become more expensive. And I was like. Dang, I knew it. Why my coffee? <laughs> right? right? So, but yeah. I still kept buying the beans because hey, I like them. Mm -hmm. Every time I went to the store, um, I was like, hmm, wasn't that 50 cents cheaper last time? And it just kept rising and rising and rising. And over the past year, um, that pack of um two pounds of coffee um became about three to four dollars more expensive. But they did that in various steps. They took me along the way. They didn't scare me away with one big price jump right. that came yeah. very late in the process. Um, imagine they hadn't increased their prices. And at some point in time, they realized, wait a second, everyone around us had increased their prices. Our coffee is way too cheap. And then one big price jump. I would be like, you know what? 
I think I it's time to try another. Yeah, it's good, brand, but right? it's not worth four dollars more a bag, right? But exactly. when you slowly well, I think of like Netflix, right? I've always been fascinated with their business. And like I can think back to when we first got a Netflix subscription, it was like, you know, seven dollars a month or something like that. And now it's I don't even know what it is now, but it's over twenty dollars a month. You know, but they've gradually done that, right? It's way more than double the price. And for me, it's just crazy to think about like how many subscribers they have. And if they just raise their subscription a dollar a month, you know, they they have like an extra billion dollars in revenue a month or, or whatever that comes out to. It's and they just... also did something super interesting that Hammond talks about in his chapter, um, oh, really? which is they packaged different um, offerings. So it's ah. at the beginning, it was... That's a Netflix subscription. It was one offering. Mm -hmm. Now you have various different ones. They they recently started um, with an offering that includes advertising and all these things. So what you basically do is um, when you observe what Netflix did, what they do is they made sure they maximize the profit potential out there by moving away from a uniform price for a uniform product and instead offering a diversified product range with diverse, diverse prices, they are able to not only have customers that are willing to pay 20 bucks a month, but also those that are willing to pay a little less. Something um, for Rather everyone. than not having them at all, they have them with a different product. The same is true when you take a, a smartphone. A smartphone is a smartphone. Whether you buy it in store A or store 2, it's the same smartphone, the same packaging. But it comes with a different plan, for example. And all of a sudden, you're willing to pay a different price for the smartphone because you like the plan way more with provider A than with provider B. Yeah, great points. Great points. Well, sorry to to kind of take you down that little tangent, but it's a it's That's a totally fascinating fine. topic to me. And uh very cool to hear kind of what what some of your um aha moments were. So all right. If you're listening to this podcast, then there's a good chance that you're looking to create more freedom in your own life. There's also a good chance that you realize that owning your own business can be a great way to take more control of your livelihood and create more of that freedom that we're all looking for. Also, if you've been listening to the show for a while, you realize that I specialize in franchise ownership. In addition to owning franchise businesses myself, I have a franchise consulting firm, Path to Freedom where I help people navigate what is typically an overwhelming process of understanding franchising, identifying specific franchise companies that could be a fit, and then conducting the due diligence in a thorough and efficient manner with those franchise brands. My whole purpose here is to leverage my experience working for franchisors, owning franchises myself, and how we've been able to use that to create more freedom in our lives and help you determine if that could be a path that makes sense for you as well. So if any of this sounds interesting, if you've considered business ownership in the past, whether you've explored franchising specifically or not, I'd love to connect with you. I'd love to learn more about you and what it is that you're working towards in your life and determine if I may be in a position to help. A great starting point is the link below in the show notes, which will take you to a short form to fill out and you'll receive a free copy of an ebook that I've put together, The Seven Steps to Freedom Through Franchise Ownership. That'll also get us connected and I'd love to set up an introductory call where I can explain a little bit more about the process that I use to help people determine if franchise ownership could be a great way to start charting their own path to freedom. So click the link below in the show notes, receive the ebook, and let's get connected. I'd love to hear from you. Take us to theme two of the book. Theme two is all about leadership and culture. How do I create an impactful culture through leading in a, in a way that um, enables and empowers the people that work for me. So it is something that is geared towards people that run teams, that run um, either teams of direct reports or project teams where people are project members, but not necessarily direct reports. Yeah. How do I do that? So there are, there are several chapters in there that offer different perspectives and approaches to this same topic. Um, for example, um, Dr. Terry Jackson, a Marshall Goldsmith uh, 100 coach, talks about six different 
um, aspects of creating an impactful um, leadership culture. Um, and some of them, especially in our times now where um, we have moved away from pure office cultures um, to more diversified ways of working and collaborating um, remotely um, in the office. Some some companies don't even have an office anymore. Others bring people back yeah. to the office. So when you take these chapters in the context of what's happening right now and, the, and, and you realize how they can help you define the future of work in your environment as a leader. I think this is extremely helpful these days because it's just a lot going on that is not the same as it used to be. And I I know how it feels when you lead a team and all of a sudden things change and like, oh my God, that impacts me so much. I don't even know what to do anymore. So we're offering a few different perspectives and approaches that can help you use this malleable time and create something that is truly helpful for your culture, but also for the people. Um, mm. So it's very people-centered, what we talk about in these chapters. Um, I really enjoy it. Other chapters come from um, Tony Martinetti, for example, um, from Charlene Lee, who is um, a New York Times bestselling author. She talks a lot about the topic of innovation and leading disruption. Um, so what does that mean for us as human beings and how can we approach it? And um, then with disruption and change comes conflict, right? So I invited Jerry Fu, um, a conflict resolution expert, to help us understand how we can reframe certain um, assumptions that we have about conflict and uh, use conflict in a positive way to find closure faster. Mm. Yeah, very relevant in this day and age, right? Because I think so many companies out there are trying to really figure out how can they stay relevant in terms of, you know, being an attractive place for employees to come and and work, right? Because Absolutely. that yeah, that landscape has shifted <laughs> massively, you know, nobody works in the office. Wait, now maybe we want to bring some people back to the office and some people are like, I don't ever want to go to work in an office again. Like just trying to trying to figure that out in this day and age, I'm sure is is difficult. Um, OK, so that's what the second theme kind of encompasses in the book. Um, yeah, very, very relevant. So talk to us about the third theme then. That's the one you mentioned in the very beginning that you're super curious about. It's the, it's the one about self-care. So what does that even mean for an entrepreneur and a business leader? And um, there are three chapters in this um, third theme that have three distinct approaches. One is about um, whole person self-awareness. So who am I and how many kind of and, and uh, what made me who I am. So understanding myself on a deeper level. The second, so this chapter was contributed by Dr. Ken Keyes. The second uh, chapter in this third theme was contributed by um, Teresa Quinlan, who talks about us, uh, who talks with us about the difference of work-life balance and life balance. Basically, we throw the entire term overboard. Work-life balance is a flawed concept that it, it just doesn't exist because it inherently means we need to balance something positive with something negative. Or it could also mean we need to, if, if you balance something, it has both amounts on both ends, right? So that would kind of mean work gets 50% of your time and the rest of your life gets 50% of your time. So the entire concept as such is nonsense. So we debunk it and uh, bring the concept of, of life balance to the table and talk about what that means and that it can mean something very different depending on which stage you are in your business. When you just build a new business, life balance can mean 15, 20 hours a day you work because that's what you want. That's all you want. That's what you love. You want to create that business. When you're more established, when you have a family, that balance will look differently, but it will be balanced for you personally. So don't just imagine a scale. Just imagine something that is rounded, something that works for you. And if we approach it with that understanding, it's just a very different concept. And it's it's applicable. It's doable. It's manageable. Yeah. yeah you want to say think, something, I have a feeling. 
Well, I'm just no, I'm I'm think I mean it <laughs> like if I look back over the last 10 years, you know, from my wife and I, right? Very much, you know, our kind of priorities or or where you know, we want to be able to focus more of our time has changed, right? Like when we were first getting started, it was just like you said, we didn't we didn't have kids yet, right? So we wanted to build these businesses. It was, you know, a major focus. And yeah, we enjoyed putting in a lot of hours, right? Yeah. We have three young kids now, right? So like priorities are different, still focused on the businesses, still willing to work hard, but, you know, we're not putting in the same number of hours. So anyways, it, it makes sense to me, especially with just the, the day and age that we live in, right? With technology, you know, being leveraged in so many ways in business, you know, we talked about it already. So many people working, you know, remotely, it's it, it does make more sense that you would have to find this kind of blend of life and work. So one question that I'm curious on this topic, you know, if it came up at all, was, you know, do you think, you know, 30, 40, 50 years ago, the, did the term work-life balance make more sense then than it does today because of the nature of how work was, was primarily being conducted back then? Do you think, you know, it, it no longer is as relevant just because of how things have, have changed in the world? I'm in my mid 40s, so I haven't been in the workforce um, 40 years ago or even 30 years ago. I don't want to say the concept wasn't applicable back then either, but I feel that the concept has evolved and certainly the way we approach work has evolved tremendously. I know how my parents worked. They worked, they worked their butts off. That's mm -hmm. what they did, they, mm -hmm. and and that's what the generation before them did, yeah. and that's not what what our generation wants, um, and let alone the, the the generations that that are just now entering the workforce. Yeah, they have seen um, how their parents struggle. They have seen what it does to you when you work fifteen hours a day, and it's just not what they want. So, in addition to that, we have very different concepts of what work means. Um, there are people making millions as YouTube stars. That's not a job, isn't it? Is that a real job? Well, it is. <laughs> Breaking news. Yeah. And that means something yeah. else. So there are different types of job, yeah. different ways of making money, different um, concepts of what a business is. So I believe in, in we need to understand the topic of life balance in the context of how work evolved over time. Um, yeah, I, th I think that's my take on it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's kind of where, where the question came from, right. was just how, you know, the different avenues for work and, you know, creating a living for yourself have evolved. Um, I think we have to think about it a little bit differently than, you know, people from previous generations did. Um, that's interesting. So, you know, from this self-care section of the book, um, you know, what are what are two or three key takeaways that that you had that, you know, maybe now you're really trying to implement in your own life that, you know, maybe you were not implementing prior to having the book done? I think the key takeaways come from the third theme, uh, sorry, the third topic in that third theme, which is a chapter I wrote about mindset shifts and, and what that actually means. Um it's a chapter that is um, autobiographic, if you want. Um, I lay out the mental struggle that came with leaving my home in Germany and moving to a new place in Canada, which is the home of my wife. Doing all that while founding a new business, while my father um, was suffering from terminal cancer and passed away. Two weeks later, my son was born, and then the pandemic hit eight weeks later. So that was just a an unplannable major event in our life. So, and that yeah. came with a lot of joy about becoming a first time dad and a lot of grief, losing my father, um, seeing how everyone around us suffered, um, including ourselves when, when we were locked down in, in March, 2020. And it was 
it wasn't until I think a year or one and a half years later that I started to allow myself to slowly dissect these emotions because it's when you live through it. And now the pandemic is kind of far away. But if you remember back March 2020, April 2020, we were all just scared shitless. Sorry, but yeah. because no one knew anything. Yeah, um, no doubt. When I entered Frankfurt Airport, which is the third biggest airport in Europe, and it was pitch black, it was dark. There were there were hardly any people there when we boarded our plane. It was the last scheduled flight from Germany to Canada. Mm. There was just military. And it was like, do you want to shoot the virus? It just scared everyone. Yeah, it's eerie. Because no one knew what it would bring and, and how dangerous it, it really was. And when you then give yourself some time and dissect these emotions and and ask yourself, why? how did I even make it through that time? Why didn't I just break down? The pressure, the mental pressure was enormous during that time. I think I allowed myself to dissect these emotions when a friend came over to visit um, one and a half years after everything had settled. And I realized that there were probably three or four mindset shifts in, at play that helped me get through this time without even realizing it. And I, I give you one example. I I wasn't, when I was younger, I wasn't a very open-minded person. I was fairly stuck in my ways, um, an arrogant young adult that thought of himself as someone who knew a lot. Mm. So whenever I, I, I saw something that didn't make sense to me, rather than being curious, and learning about it and asking myself, oh, interesting, what's the opportunity here for me? I would shut it down and move away from it, right? So during that time, during that transition period, I realized I did exactly the opposite. I fully leaned in. When I moved to Canada, and even if we think of North America and Europe being fairly similar when it comes to culture, there are several major differences that can drive you nuts. So I could I could have either be like, yeah, that that's all stupid. <laughs> I'm right. going back. Yeah, I can't believe they do that. Can, exactly. Or you can lean in and be like, hmm, interesting. There must be a reason why they do it like that. And it's probably like, not because they don't know better. So like ketchup potato out. chips is one of those things, right? Where you're like, what are they doing? <laughs> Although I've got to admit, I've tried ketchup potato chips. They're not bad. I'm not saying they'd be my first choice, you know, if I was grabbing a bag of chips, but they're not bad. <laughs> yeah. And so <laughs> these mindset shifts, I, I, I'm not a big potato chip guy, so I don't know what you guys are eating here. I'm, I'm not really curious about that, but um, I, I give you an example. Um, it's just very different how people interact with each other when they first meet. And of course, it wasn't my first time in North America, but when you live here, it's just something completely different. And you experience not just the vacation vibe of being here, you experience the life. Yeah, and you're like, oh, this is my life now, not, oh, this is curious that they do it this way, but I'm out of here in a week or two. Exactly. Yeah, I bet that is a big, big mindset shift. So moving away from that fixed mindset to a growth mindset, moving towards a mindset of abundance in a sense that I was like, a scarcity mindset is about, oh my God, I need to make sure I get something. That's what basically happened when everyone bought toilet paper in 2020, right? Yeah, That's scarcity yeah. mindset. If I don't get it now, there won't be any left tomorrow, right? Mm -hmm. And when everyone does that, it's the same with a bank run, um, you know? Banks go out of business because everyone is scared about their money and they yeah. go get it unless uh, until nothing's left anymore. Yeah. So everyone sit tight out there listening on the banks. There's no need to run, pull all your money out of the banks. When you move to a more to an, to an abundant thinking, you understand there is most of the time there's just way more than anyone needs. So. Yeah. And that was the same here. Um, I, I allowed myself to dig to to just like tap into resources that I didn't allow myself to tap into before, and that gave me the confidence that I can make it work somehow. I'm still not a hundred percent through this whole emotional madness that happened back then, but you know I'm getting there. And yeah. my key that's your question was was what is my key takeaway? My key takeaway is that mindset beats skill. I had all the skills to deal with that, but that's not the point. That's not what helped me do it. 
the, what helped us through this time was the mindset shifts that I describe in that chapter, not the skill that I had. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, couldn't agree more from, you know, my own experiences, you know, people that I have learned from and, and respect a lot. I think your mindset is absolutely critical, you know, to continuing to grow and, you know, essentially building the life that you want. I'm curious, you know, through your research, through, you know, interacting with the people that contributed to the book, are there any like tangible, I guess, exercises, I would say that, you know, you're incorporating into your life, your routine, you know, to kind of practice strengthening your mindset. Like I'll give you an example for mine. I've gotten into cold plunging, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, there's all types of physical benefits to, you know, getting into ice cold water. Right. But, and so that's originally what kind of drew me to it. But, you know, I think the main reason that I enjoy, you know, doing that multiple times a week is for the mental training. Right. Because last thing I want to do, even though I know I feel better afterwards, I know it's good for me. I still don't want to get in that water. Yeah. Yeah. And there's times where it's harder than others. Right. But, you know, that exercise of kind of pushing myself to do it anyways, getting very, very uncomfortable for a short period of time because I know that it's good for me and there's something better on the other side of that discomfort. You know, so I think there's, I mean, so many examples, right, of where we can intentionally do things like this on a regular basis. And and that's training our mindset to not freak the hell out when we get uncomfortable, but, you know, maybe stay a little more cool, calm and collected and 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 move through it. So curious yeah. if, if you've come across anything, you know, maybe similar that's that's helped you in, in that type of way. There is something very specific, actually. Um, five years ago, Alex would have never written this book mm. or would, wouldn't have published a book at all because it would never have been good enough. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, but at some point in time, you got to realize you either write a book and you do it properly or you don't. And and if you if you really want to give the world something valuable, something tangible, something actionable, then you just have to get beyond that point of it's not good enough. Then make it good enough. And if you can't do it yourself, it goes back to abundant mindset. There are resources out there that can help you make it good enough. So um, understanding both that there is never perfect, but that there is good enough and what these points look like, this has nothing to do with skill. This is pure mindset. Just getting out there, understanding that there are resources, you just need to find them. And um, allowing these resources into your world can make all the difference. And not only when I talk about writing a book. What I would imagine with that too, right? Like, because this is something I wanted to ask you about. You know, I imagine it took some courage on your part to reach out to all of these, you know, leading experts in their fields and ask them to contribute to your book. So do you mind sharing a little bit of what, what that process kind of looked like? Because I'm assuming they they wrote these chapters specifically for your book. Is that correct? Yes, yeah. that is correct. Yeah, so um, how did so you go about that? The first, my first approach, my first outreach was not about the book, actually. It was about inviting them as speakers to my business summit. Okay. And for every yes that you get, you get 20 no's. Yeah. That's yeah. just how it is. And you got to be comfortable with that and understand that this is not about you, not about the quality of your summit. It's not about the quality of your work. It has way more to do with timing than mm -hmm. anything else. Yeah. Does that work for the other person at this point in their career, wherever they are? And how high is the likelihood that you reach out to 20 people and 20 people say yes? It's basically zero. Yeah. And even half is zero. So if you prepare yourself for what's coming your way, once you reach out, it's just like putting on an armor. And so you don't allow that the no's hurt you because they are not about you. They're not a testament of your work. So that is the first step. And once these people um, 
had agreed to speak at my event, of course, there were people um, that I that I reached out to that weren't very interested in helping me pull together this book. But at that point in time, 90% of the people I asked said yes. And that is just, a, it, it shows you just how different it is to reach out to people that you don't know versus talking to people based on a shared experience and the trust that you build. Yeah. So, yeah, I guess that was something that I learned beyond just writing books. It was something that I knew theoretically, but it made me experience how I deal with large scale rejection when you first reach out to people. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's interesting, but, but very, I mean, I see it sometimes with, with the podcast, right? You know, there's guests that I would love to have on the podcast, right? But to your point, it's timing, you know, I, I think credibility plays a role in some of this stuff too, right? Like if, you know, you want people to come speak at the summit that you're putting together, or if I want someone to come on my podcast, like if they do some research and they don't see anything that gives them confidence that you're, you know, going to put on a good summit or, you know, you have a legitimate podcast, uh, you know, that helps too. But, you know, I've reached out to plenty of people, you know, to to invite them on the show and either not heard back or, you know, gotten a, a polite no. Um, so, yeah, you got to kind of train yourself for for that rejection and and not take it personally, because I think that's when it it starts to probably get real easy to give up. Right. If you if you take it personally. And I think something that I, I took, I took the nose as something really positive, to be honest, because. It, every no that I got, I knew I got a step further to where I wanted to be. Because as I said, every yes is 20 no's. So you can you can do the math. Just reach out, reach out, reach out, reach out, build credibility, um, pull that summit together, run that summit. With that comes additional credibility for your next idea. Mm -hmm. um, that first book has people in it that I admired. When I studied in business school, reading Herman Simon's books um, was just amazing for How me. Cool. Like talking to him on my summit, inviting him, getting that yes, means Simon Kucher is 200 offices around the world. It's a huge company. He yeah. built it. How and cool. I, I was just blown away. Then in addition to that, this book helped me open doors. Um, when I when I graduated, Marshall Goldsmith's book, What Got You Here Won't Get You There, came, came out. That was in 2008. Marshall Goldsmith wrote an endorsement for the book that comes out in the fall. This is like a dream come true. Yeah, you know, so that cool. you, you just can't imagine something like that. But you need to earn your spot. You need to earn the conversation. As you say, do you have a legitimate podcast? Probably not with 10 episodes, but with 200. Yeah. Or, you know, yeah. that's a different conversation you're having all of a sudden. And with with endurance with stamina comes something that is just invaluable and that's credibility that's i'm here to stay i'm here for the long run yeah. i believe in this i know what i'm doing and you build credibility as you go yeah it's important it's so important i uh you you may be familiar with andy frisilla um he's i would say pretty big on social media now he puts a lot of stuff out he's got a podcast but uh, he's the founder of a big fitness and, and fitness apparel company, you know, here based here in the U S and so anyways, he's got a, I would say, you know, probably top 10, you know, podcasts for, you know, like personal development. And, um, he puts it out there very, very vocally. And he's got a, a, a form on his website that makes it super easy for other podcasters to request to have him as a guest. And he's kind of notorious for like, he'll go on podcasts that no one's ever heard of. Right. Mm. Um, he's happy to do it and he doesn't like charge money for it or anything like that. But, you know, one of the few requirements that he has I forget the exact number, so I may be getting this wrong, but I think he wants to look and see that you have more than a hundred episodes of your podcast. Mm -hmm. He's like, I don't want to be your first guest, <laughs> you know, but if you got 12 guests, like that's great. Keep plugging along, hit me up when you've got a hundred under your belt because, and it's not because he's like, Oh, I want to make sure you're like a professional podcaster. He wants to make sure 
that you're willing to stick with it, right? Because he knows that 85% of our podcasts don't live to see their 20th or 50th episode. Yeah, I'm sure. And and I'm sure it's the same for authors, right? Like how many unfinished, never published books are, you know, sitting on people's hard drives out there. Um, so anyways, really good point. Look, I know we're coming up on time here. So want to make sure uh, you tell the listeners where can they find the book if they want to check it out, which I highly, highly recommend. Um, I've read through the majority of it. You sent me a pre-copy. You were nice enough to do that. And uh, I will be ordering a hard copy of it as well. It'll go on the shelf back here with all of my other must-reads. But um, So where can people get a copy? Uh, where can people find more you know, of the the content and information that you're putting out, connect with you, give us all of that. So the book was published by Wiley um, and it's available everywhere you buy books. So it's in your favorite bookshop. It's on Amazon. It's everywhere. So um, audio, links, are you going to, are you going to do an audio version? That is more a decision of the publishing house. Once you sell a book to a publisher, I don't know whether they, whether we will do an, an audio book. Um, it's certainly nothing that we have in the in plans right now, but Got it. who okay. knows? The more people buy a book, the more interest is generated. And you know, right now the book is available as a hardcover, and um, it also will be available as an e-reader. Whether it will be available as a paperback and an audiobook, let's see. Let's see. Got it. You, you find everything about the book and and links to um, several um, book retailers on my website as well. AlexTheStrategist.com or AlexBrookman.com if you dare to write my surname. So I highly recommend not to try it. <laughs> Just go for AlexTheStrategist.com. Yeah, it's two two ends on the end of uh, Brookman. I think I've gotten that one wrong once or twice myself, but we'll put links to all of that in the show notes to make it easy for folks to find. Um I'm always curious about the audiobooks because I've I've heard of you know from authors that have recorded an audiobook and they're like it's 10 times harder to read the book and record it than it is to actually write the damn thing. Um so I was curious if that was uh you know a process that you had been through or or were going through yet. I'm a huge fan of audiobooks but I also am a big believer that many books are much better to you know, have a hard copy in your hand, be able to highlight, be able to take notes. So it sounds like, you know, this book that just came out, Secrets of Next Level Entrepreneurs, you know, for me, I want to have a hard copy of that. I want to be able to come back and reference it, uh, you know, look at notes, look at things I've highlighted. So it sounds like it's perfect. For me, it's very uh, simple. Fiction is better to listen to, nonfiction, especially books where you know there is tangible stuff in there that I can take out. You want to have a pen in your hand. You want to take notes mm. um, or underline things. So um, yeah. I'm actually very happy that the book is is available as a hardcover. Yeah, I think that's a great way to think about it and, um, and a good rule of thumb. Well, Alex, anything else you want to share with the audience or point folks to before we put a bow on this episode? I'm super active on LinkedIn, so please hit me up on LinkedIn. Um, connect with me. I put a lot of content out there um, that I hope is valuable. And it's not always like serious stuff. I also put out um, business content with uh, a twink of an eye. Love it. Love it. We'll post your LinkedIn uh, profile on the show notes as well. But Alex, so good catching up with you again, man. I love seeing you know everything you've done and accomplished since the last time uh, we had a chance to speak. So everyone, go get a copy of the book, Secrets of Next Level Entrepreneurs. Alex Brookman, thank you for dropping in here on the Path to Freedom podcast. That's a wrap. Thanks for joining me today and be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you'll know when a new episode is released. You can also check me out on my website at www.path2frdm.com. And if you want more information about franchising or just want to say hello, feel free to contact me at wes at path2frdm.com. 
www.thegrowingmoment.com. Thanks again. Now go drop in. Thank you.